Hi, I'm Nicole Doyley. Welcome to Let's Talk, Conversations on Race, Season 2. Since the death of George Floyd, there has been a tremendous amount of racial unrest in our country, and really all around the world. I mean, 76% of Americans say racism is a problem. And many are genuinely asking, perhaps for the first time, how did we get here? The mayor of New Orleans, Mitch Landrieu, said, centuries-old wounds are still raw because they never healed right in the first place. Well, I believe part of the healing will come through conversation. As we talk and listen, individuals will change, families will change, churches, businesses, politics, and culture will change. It all starts by dragging things into the light. Racial injustice has been a thorn in America's flesh for a long time. It's time for it to be removed so that we could all move forward. Today I'm here with my friend and author, April Randolph. Welcome, April. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so good to have you. Um, April, you've written several books, the most recent one being Forgiveness is Free. And you also blog extensively. And um, in March 2019, you published an article called What I Tell My African-American Son. And this article reached over half a million people. I mean, it, it really resonated. And today I'd like you to tell us the story that you told in that article. Okay. Well, um, as you mentioned, at the time I wrote that article, it was March of last year. And at that time, there wasn't really a, a public outcry following the recent death of anyone. You know, no African-Americans had been um, harmed on film. There was nothing like that going on. Um, I just wrote it following a moment of exasperation at kind of the continual plight of Black American youth to be seen as just decent, law-abiding human beings. Mm -hmm. The article is about my son, who was 14 at the time, who forgot his key to the house, and he discovered after school that he was locked out during a really bad snowstorm. And Nicole, mm -hmm. as you know, snowstorms here in Rochester can be pretty treacherous. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so he called me at work and I advised him to see if certain neighbors were home and none of them were. So I left work and rushed home as fast as you can rush when you're trying to rush in Rochester winter weather. And yeah, right. I was rushing to get to him and he had a cell phone. So I told him to get out of this storm and walk to a local store to seek shelter. I told him just, you know, go in the store you know, shop around, look at things, just, you know, stay inside because it's really horrible out. And then I called him as I was getting closer to let him know I was almost there, almost to the store to pick him up, stay inside, stay warm. And, but when I arrived, my son was outside in the snow. He was mm. shivering and he was cold and he was wet. So I asked him, you know, why didn't you just stay inside the store like I told you to? And he said to me with very sad eyes, he said, mom, it was because I was being stared at and followed around the store. And mm -hmm. it was like they expected me to steal something. 
he was just so hurt and just, you know, in such disbelief because we go in the store all the time, he and mm-hmm. I together. Um, so he'd been made to feel so uncomfortable because he was being followed, he was being stared at, that he said he left because he felt he just didn't belong there. Mm. And even though, you know, he spent most of the time looking at things like acne cream, something that should be reasonable for a 40 kid to be looking at, um, mm-hmm. still watched like he was a criminal. Yeah. And so I wrote the story, the article because I was just, I was outraged about that. I was, I was outraged that my son, who is a scholar athlete, he's, he's in the National Honor Society, that he was made to feel like he didn't belong somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. And you you also talk about in the article things that coworkers said when you said you had to leave. Oh, yes. Um, when I, before I left to go pick him up, I told my coworkers I had to leave. My son is home. He is locked out of the house. And as you can see, it's terrible outside. And um, someone said to me, well, why doesn't he just like use the credit card and let himself in or go in through a window? And I looked at them and I said, because my son can't do that. You know, my son is African-American and he's 14 years old. My Mm -hmm. son can't be seen climbing in a window, even in our own house, in our own neighborhood where people know him because he's 14 and he's African-American. Yeah. And that to them, you know, they didn't quite get that at that moment, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they of course, you know, read the article after I wrote it and, and were able to kind of get it like, you know, maybe their kids can do something like that and, mm-hmm. and be okay. But my, my son can't take a chance at being considered doing something illegal. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a different, different standards that we live by. Um, do, do's and don'ts, you know, in the, in the article, which was so amazing, um, you, you also just talked about some of the things, the do's and don'ts that you've told your son along the way. And, you know, in black households all over the country, uh, parents give their children some version or other of the talk. And the talk is a, is a training session or a, a boot camp on the realities of racism. And, um, and we try to keep it as light as possible. We don't want to scare our kids. We, we want to break it to them gently that they may be treated differently because of the color of your skin. And that's what your son experienced in that store. Um, we don't want them to be bitter. We don't want them to reject their blackness. Um, but we need to have them aware and wise and circumspect. Um, you know, I was thinking if you have a girl, you have to teach her that that some men are predators. Um, and if you have a black child or children, you have to teach them that some people, including some people in law enforcement um, and including some neighbors, um, are racist. And their future may depend on their ability to recognize that and deal with that fact. Um, you know, here's some of the things we've said to our sons. Uh, when you're walking or riding your bike or someday driving a car, that day's going to come quickly, April, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so someday, when they're driving a car and a police officer stops you, um, keep your hands where where he or she can see them. Don't talk back. Don't raise your voice. Don't become defensive. Stay calm. You know, don't make him nervous. 
Um, we've told our sons, you may not play with BB guns or paintball guns or airsoft guns or any other gun that is not pink or orange with the big N-E-R-F letters on them. <laughs> yeah. And even if it is an orange Nerf gun, you cannot lay in the grass pretending to be a sniper. That's what my son wanted to do the other day. Um, we've told them to, in this day of, of bagless stores, um, we've told them to always ask for a bag in the store and don't ever walk out with an item not in a bag because they may think you're stealing it. Um, we've told them not to put their hood up on their hoodie, even if it's cold, um, because that will potentially make them look threatening. And we've told them, you know, even if, if classmates wear sweats, pants and old clothes to school that they may not wear sweats or ripped jeans, even though it's the style or you know, ripped shirts or stained shirts um, that they have to always look neat and clean when they leave the house because teachers and others may think they're poor and stereotype them more because of it. You know, and the list goes on. And, and most Black parents' lists um, have these elements and others in them. Um, April, you wrote a book about forgiveness so, you know, how did you find that balance between teaching your kids about racism and even helping your son to process what happened in the store that day? Um, you know, teach them about racism without instilling bitterness or unforgiveness in them. Well, Nicole, uh, my children are now, um, you know, my youngest is now 15 years old. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, they're teenagers, they're getting older. When they were younger, it was easier, right? Because mm -hmm. when you're young, when your kids are young, you can convince them to believe things that aren't, that things aren't as bad as they are. You can yeah. tell them that everything's okay and smile and kiss them goodnight and they'll go with it. You know, mm -hmm. they Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, you can shoot yeah. things and get away with almost anything. Mm -hmm. But as time goes on, they get smarter and they're more inquisitive, they're more mm -hmm. perceptive. So they mm -hmm. start to notice things for themselves and they begin to be able to discern when something's not quite right with a situation. Mm -hmm. And know when mom or dad is acting like they're not annoyed by something, but that something's clearly bothering them. Mm -hmm. What we mostly did with our kids was teach them to give people situations the benefit of the doubt mm -hmm. um, that when they notice things like every non-black person that came into a restaurant after us gets their food long before we do and mm -hmm. starts before we've even had our order taken um, mm -hmm. we've taught them to consider that as you know maybe we ordered something that takes longer to prepare or you know they had a reservation and we didn't you know and we've, we've had to use excuses like that dozens of times so in mm -hmm. situations of what could be covert racism we've taught them not to rush to judgment mm -hmm. as they've grown older we've allowed them to draw their own conclusions about what they deem to be racism mm -hmm. uh, we've been there to guide them and to give them wisdom and even sometimes to point out things that they've missed that were obviously racist so mm -hmm. they'll recognize those things the next time they experience them because, you know, there, there comes a time when you've coated things with enough sugar and mm -hmm. it's time to experience it plain. And mm -hmm. current racial climate, certainly some situations are not just plain racism, but they're raw racism. Yes. So, um, you know, we've taught our kids that despite all of the awfulness, that there's always room for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And 
tried to keep it real with them and shared real life instances of racist acts that we've forgiven. You know, I, I taught them that if they hold on to a victim mentality, that they'll always be a victim and mm-hmm. they'll always be angry, they'll always be bitter. So I taught them to always remember things like um, the words of Martin Luther King when he said, let no man bring you low enough to hate him. You know, mm. I taught them to never let any man, any situation, experience bring them to a place where they feel they can hate another person. And I taught them that even when it's hard, that they have to always try to take the high road. Um, because, you know, like you said, now they're at the age where I can't sugarcoat things anymore. They, yeah. it, they taste it, they feel it. And um, I have to let them draw their own conclusions and just be there to guide them. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's, it's so true. You know, that the older they get, the more they find out stuff that you may might have tried to hide from them. Um, yeah. What about law enforcement? You know, how, how did you teach them, you know, that some police officers are racist, but not all are, uh, and to, re- to respect law enforcement? How did that conversation go? Well, right from when they were little, because I mean, let's face it, um, you know, interactions between black people and the police that turn out badly are not new. They're, they mm-hmm. didn't start with the recent names that we know. Um, mm-hmm. They've been there they've been there for a long, long time. They just haven't been recorded. They haven't been mm-hmm. captured on video. So, mm-hmm. you know, right from, you know, when they were young, we taught them that there's no perfect group of anything right? I mean, there's no perfect batch of cookies. There's no perfect pumpkin patch. And there's, there's no perfect chicken McNugget. There's <laughs> always going to be one or more than one that is flawed somehow that has some kind of defect that isn't quite right. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that you should take the whole batch and throw it away. Mm-hmm. You know, if this cookie's smaller than that cookie, I'm going to eat both cookies. Right. Me too. Taught them that, you know, the police force is no different. There's going to always be one and maybe unfortunately more than one that are flawed Mm -hmm. that do that could be racist. So Mm -hmm. we've taught them just in all things to know that, you know, no one thing is is going to be perfect. And we try to teach them to live by one of the justice system's creeds, which is, you know, to assume that someone is innocent until they're proven guilty, whether they are a suspect or they are a police officer, you know, assume innocence until they're proven guilty. Yeah. You know, and and we've also taught our children to address police officers as officer or sir, um, but always, you know, greet them with respect, always be respectful when talking to them. And we reminded them that just like we are, just like their mom and dad are, that police officers want to, go to work each day. They want to come home each day. And, you know, when I see officers doing good things like on a Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, I take it and I share it with my kids. I, mm-hmm. I take it and I show them officers when they're, they're doing a dance in the streets with a group of kids, or especially if they're out playing basketball with a group mm-hmm. of kids. And, you know, it's, it's, they get big props if an officer's got game and they're out there and they're really schooling the schooling the kids on the basketball court, you know, yeah. yeah. So I try and show them things when I see them that show that police and communities can have good relationships and that show them that police officers are relatable. 
I think that if more of those type of things happen, then it would move the needle a long way when it comes to police community relations. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we've also taught them that though the criminal justice system isn't always fair, that it does sometimes work. You know, sometimes you have to fight out injustice through the court system and not at the side of the road. Mm -hmm. Kids are aware of an incident where their grandmother, my mother-in-law, who, while she was in her 70s, was stopped and dragged out of her car and along the ground by the police, having broken no law. You know, Mm -hmm. they know that that happened to their grandmother. And Mm -hmm. know that she sued the police department and she won. So they're aware that you don't have to protest against a police officer in the street. You can Mm -hmm. protest in court. And, you know, sometimes it works in your favor. Yeah, yeah. That's so wise and so good. You know, when we were chit-chatting before, you mentioned that you've um, taken your son to a couple of the protests um, regarding Daniel Prude's death. And, you know, that just, how how did you help him to process that and the the other things, all the other um, issues that have happened this year, Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Jacob Blake and how did how have you helped your kids to process those things and even to process while you're at those protests? I'm trying to help them process it by just being present, just mm-hmm. being present when they want to talk, being present when they don't want to talk, mm-hmm. always letting them know that I'm here and I'm available to talk even when I'm busy. Mm-hmm. I feel that that's something that's critical for all parents to do because You know, when you take all of these recent events and you take this year of Mm -hmm. (laughs) COVID-19, you look at the limited social interactions that our kids are having, Mm -hmm. kids who are athletes who no longer have their athletic outlets, Mm -hmm. our children are going through a lot in 2020. Yeah. I've, I've let them know that if they feel like they need to talk to a counselor, then we'll make that available to them and let them know that there's no shame in that. Mm-hmm. I, I think all parents should be letting their kids know that it's okay if you need someone to talk to that's not mom or dad. Yeah. It's okay if you are confused about things, you're afraid of things because there's just so much going on right now. Mm-hmm. So really just try to be present and let them know if I'm not the person you want to be present, you need to talk to someone else, then, then we're going to seek that for you. And I yeah. want off of pointing out things to them in the news that I really want them to see. I try to just let them focus on what they can handle and and what they can absorb instead of making them look at things that I'm looking at that I consider to be a trouble. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so they draw their own conclusions. And um, starting to let them get facts on what's happening through their own sources of news, whether that be Snapchat, YouTube, whatever. (laughs) I'm trying to let them get things and digest things their own way. Because, Nicole, we just really have to know our kids. You know, there are some kids that are so into their Xboxes and YouTube that they could care less about what's going on around them. Well, we have a fierce sense of fairness and, and, and and justice, and they want to be part of the making the changes. So, you know, we just have to be careful to feed each one what they can digest. Yeah. The one who's not interested may become resentful 
if they're overfed and mm-hmm. one who is interested could become angry if they're allowed to see too little or do too little. Mm. You know, in like my taking my son to a protest, he was able to be and and able to feel like he was a part of a movement. Mm. Not something my daughter is interested in one bit. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no one size fits all child. And we just have to adjust based on each child's individual characteristics. Mm. So good. That's so true. I, I love what you said about not wanting to overfeed or underfeed, but to know them and know what they need. And I've got a, I've got two sons and I, they, what you said about one wants this and one needs that. It's so true. I see that in both of them already. Um, you know, we, we've wanted um, our sons to be aware that, that black people face difficulties because of the color of our skin and we haven't wanted them to resent being black. You know, we've been very cautious about that, especially with one of our sons. So we've, you know, purchased a lot of books about black achievement and watched a lot of movies about all the contributions of, of African-Americans. And we've wanted them to feel proud of their heritage and to know that black people are overcomers, that that we have accomplished incredible things while while facing incredible obstacles. We've wanted them grounded and and proud and um and not like you said before, not having a victim mentality, but knowing that, man, every obstacle that was put in front of us, we've leapt over, and we've wanted them to you know puff out their chests a little bit about that, you know, and not just focus on the difficulties that we've faced. Um, and we've wanted them to know that there are bad black people, just like there are bad white people. You know, we we don't want to give them, like you said, as, especially as they grow older, a rose-colored view of the world of or America or blackness. But to, you know, we want them to be able to discern good and evil wherever it resides. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, you know, we're, we're, I just have two more questions for you. Um, and you've sort of, you've, you've given us a lot already, um, but... If you, you know, were going to sit down with a group of parents of white kids and you could give them one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, just one. Um, <laughs> you can do a couple. You could do a couple. Um, it's, you know, that's a great question because a lot of um, white friends who are parents have come to me these past few months and um, wanted to talk to me and ask me questions. Um, you know, some of the the advice I've given them is um, first and foremost to be an active anti-racist, you know, be active about it and let your kids see it. Don't just, you know, verbally denounce racism or sit in your home and read things that you find terrible and then mm. go and mow the lawn around a Black Lives Matter sign and do nothing else. Mm. I, I tell them to actively engage in the movement to end police brutality and and to read books, read books like The New Jim Crow. You know, mm. there are great books out there right now to read mm. and become educated about white privilege and, and unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. And I told them to have their kids read books about other cultures. Yeah. Um, I've advised them to speak out when they see injustice and teach their kids to do the same and to, you know, sign a petition when it comes around about a law that's trying to be enacted and not just to, to toe the party line and elect officials who, who 
are part of their party, but to make sure they're electing officials whose values are the same as theirs. And, and to remember that the upcoming presidential election is not the only election that matters. And it's certainly not the only one that's important. Mm. And, um, you know, I thank them for asking me questions and I tell them to, you know, ask all their Black friends questions they've been longing to know the answer to and, and let them know that, you know, they likely won't be offended, but will instead be encouraged by the fact that, that their friend is seeking knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my son's best friend is white and mm-hmm. son goes on trips with their family and his friend goes on trips with our family. Mm. So I tell them to be that kind of family, you know, be that kind of family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, also I advise them to check in with their kids. And I advise that to any parent, check in with your kids because they may have thoughts that surprise you. They might mm-hmm. be scared right now. Um, you may not know it and they could be part of a militia group. Um, <laughs> you should check your social media, you know, and I tell them to not be afraid to do that because guess what? You're paying their phone bill. So yeah. you can look at their phone. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what you're describing is humility. You know, when you said, ask your, ask other black friends questions and the fact that they're asking you questions and um, you're right. I don't, I can't think of a black friend who would be offended by just questions. Well, you know, what do you think of this? How do you feel? How do you process this? What about this? It just shows an openness and a humility when those, and that's one of the things I'm hoping with this podcast is to spark conversation. Cause I think, you know, when we drag things into the light and face them and talk about them, that's part of the solution. Oh, it so is. It so is. And I've had, I've had um, white parents come to me and say, you know, I'm so glad I talked to you. I was so scared to ask you questions because I thought you would think in your head, doesn't she already know this? Mm. And I to say, no, we, we, no, don't think you already know. And we're thrilled when you want to know. Yes, absolutely. It's it's so easy not to know because there's so many things that you could just not read and not read this, but read this. And yeah, you could totally stay in the bubble if you want to. And it's wonderful when you see somebody who's saying, basically, I don't want to stay in my bubble. Absolutely. So if you were in a, similarly, if you were in a room full of parents of Black children, um, my original question was black parents with black kids. And I realized, you know, there's a lot of listeners who are white parents who have black kids. So I changed my question to parents of black children, whatever color the parents are. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to parents of black children? Um, I would tell them to teach their kids to be the change that they want to see. Mm. You Um, Black Americans have lost a lot of heroes lately. We've lost Mm. a lot of heroes with the passing of John Lewis and C.T. Vivian and and Chadwick Boseman, um, Mm -hmm. a few. So we have to teach our kids that they have the power and the God-given ability to be heroes in their own right, that they can be heroes right now in their own time Mm. and heroes in their community and in the world, um, we have to let Black children know um, that they are important and that they do matter. One very important thing I would say to parents of of Black children is to keep the word 
exposure in the front of your mind. Exposure mm. is so important. We have to expose our kids to things that they may see as only being dreams and long shots. And even if it's just through reading books and, and visiting museums, watching movies, things about other cultures, we have to let our children see beyond their neighborhoods and mm. what they think is possible for them. You know, when we see their gifts, we have to cultivate them and we have to encourage them and we have to celebrate their accomplishments. And mm -hmm. a child that has an entrepreneurial spirit, we need to help them make that business happen. Mm. And we still, it's important, you know, the old phrase, each one teach one, that you don't hear that much anymore. Mm. That spirit should still be alive and well. Each person who has achieved something should be teaching something to another younger person or even another person of their age, but each one should teach one so mm -hmm. they can um, bring each other up and build each other up. And even if it's not our children, each one can teach one who is someone else's child. Yeah. It truly does take a village. You know, mm -hmm. we have to let all Black children know that they are kings and queens, and, and we have to instill in them the pride that comes with being royalty. So yes. never doubt, no matter how anyone treats them, that they are royalty. Mm. We have to make sure they know their history. We have to make sure they know the history of the civil rights movement and the importance mm -hmm. of nonviolent protest. And, and most importantly, most importantly, we have to pray for their safety. Mm -hmm. We have to pray for them because sometimes, sadly, the talk isn't enough. Yeah. Sometimes it's just not enough. And yeah. not everyone who wants to do them harm or deal with them unjustly wears a uniform. Right. Make sure that they're aware that there could be vigilante attacks, like what happened to Ahmad and, and Trayvon and... Mm -hmm. We have to let them know that even in their own homes, they could become victims like Breonna Taylor or, or Botham John. Mm -hmm. We have to pray for them, pray for their safety because, mm -hmm. you know, Black children grow up to be Black adults and they're going to face racism not only in school, but in their workplace and mm -hmm. in any place. Mm -hmm. So we have to teach them to at all costs to avoid bad trouble and get in good trouble. So <laughs> in their lifetime, they can see and witness some measurable change. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. Teaching our kids to be leaders, teaching our kids to look outside of themselves. I love that. Each one teach one. You're right. I haven't heard it for a while. Um, praying for them. You know, we, we all want to raise kind, respectful, good, smart kids. Um, and we have to teach them the bitter and the sweet. And, and then, like you said, we, we equip them um, and we pray and we trust. And one day we launch them and we hope that we've done enough and we just, we commit them to God's hands because um, mm -hmm. he is where we can't be. Um so that such such wise words, April. Thank you so much. Um, 
It's been a pleasure having you today. I just want to let my listeners know that you can find April Randolph at lovingmiddleagedlife.com, or you could Google her. Um, she pops right up there, and you could um, purchase all of her books on Amazon.com. Thank you so much, April. Thanks for having me, Nicole. No, oh, you're welcome. Hi, this is Nicole Doily. Join us next time for Let's Talk Conversations on Race. And in the meantime, visit NicoleDoily.com.